We're finishing in Baltimore where Lamar finished all over the Colts defense. Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mental. Welcome in to the Fantasy Flexecution Podcast. I am your host, Brett Pelashotti. With me now and always is my boy, Kyle Settle. What's going on, man? Dude, I'm trying to figure out who I pissed off after the last couple of years. It's repulsive the amount of injuries I have in our league of record. I knew this was coming. I, I know everyone <laughs> feels like their team is always the most injury-plagued and everything like that, but come on, man. Like... 2020, Dak Prescott, Austin Eckler, Joe Mixon, CeeDee Lamb because of Dak Prescott, Godwin misses time. like Just ridiculous amount of injury. And this year's gone no better. Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. These guys have never missed games before. And now both of them out for an extended period. Julio, uh, Kittle, Edwards and Dobbins, James White, Will Fuller. Like the list goes on and on. Like everyone I love is dead. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, particularly rough. On the superstars, at least early in the year. <laughs> yeah. And it's guys that have track uh, records of staying healthy, too. Like my quarterback. Like Russ never missed a game in 10 years. I traded him for him. <laughs> I traded for him this offseason thinking, all right, cool. I got Mr. Dependable. No. He, he goes a decade without missing a game. But nope. Now, now he's playing for settle. So suddenly that motivation to stay healthy is just completely gone. I told you, man. You're the common denominator. <laughs> it's, your, it's your fault. It's Yeah, it's me. It's something I'm doing. I don't know what it is, but it's 100% something that I'm doing. It has to be. You're the kiss of death, dude. <laughs> uh, well, at least, uh, at least you know, this time next year, Deshaun Watson should be playing, <laughs> most likely should be playing. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Who, who really knows? It's not like any of these guys are like, you know, got cancer or anything. <laughs> they should all be back. <laughs> That's the bright side, I guess. Yeah, they're all still alive. <laughs> I'm pretty I'm sure they're all still breathing, so that's good. I'm trying to help you out here. If, if that's the silver lining, I guess I got to tell you. I got nothing. Get, <laughs> right. So, uh, oh, brother, the news and the notes. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Extra, extra, read all about it. Check it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. Breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> John Gruden, he has resigned. I say resigned, but <laughs> he most likely was yeah. fired. Either way, he's gone. He is no longer... A mutual parting of ways. He's no longer the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. So, for fantasy, I mean, any type of big change like this, there you got to leave some room for uh, for positivity, the potential that this change benefits the fantasy assets. Um, and I think a lot of people would, would lean that way, considering the way we've seen guys like Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs used so far in their career. You would think that a change at least leave some room for positive, you know, uh, improvement with the game plan and the usage of these guys coming probably, you know, week one, 2022. Yeah. And 
the next head coach is obviously going to be very telling. But I'm, I'm glad you want to you put the pan- fantasy spin on it because there is one here. Like the Gruden tenure has had the same mentality, obviously, this whole time under Mayock. And he, obviously, Mike Mayock, the general manager of the Raiders, is technically the boss of John Gruden. But I don't think anyone thinks it was actually working that way in Oakland or now in Vegas. So it's going to be interesting to see how the mentalities will shift. And I think it's probably good news for guys like you, the aforementioned Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs, just because like Hunter Renfro is out there getting targets on targets and targets just because that's the, that's the Gruden offense. That's the Derek Carr mentality. And you get a more aggressive head coach in there. Maybe he starts utilizing the more talented wide receivers. Like Hunter Renfro is the third most talented wide receiver at best on that team, but he plays like the team's first options. So if you get a new head coach in there, uh, change the mentality of the offense. And Hey, this may be the end of Derek Carr after this season too. It may very, well be that John Gruden was the one keeping Derek Carr and his I don't know up and down average quarterback play I know he's had had a pretty good year up until this point but there's been rumors for the last three seasons about is this Derek Carr's last season in or in the Raiders uniform so that might end up being the kiss of death I mean he's no spring chicken anymore he's in his 30s I want to say he's 31 years old not sure off the top of my head so we might see a huge shift in the offensive philosophy of the Raiders as soon as next week but like you said definitely by next season yeah i mean there's a ton of popular college coaches that a lot of people are predicting are going to make that jump at some point um you know lincoln riley being number one on that list everybody wants always, to see him make his way into the nfl um or eric Bieniemy, a popular candidate in already in the nfl sure um those are obviously offensive-minded guys so you want to see someone like that make their way over to las vegas either way uh keep it locked here we'll let you know you know, if anything, if anything happens on that front and when it does, the fantasy angle that you can expect. But moving on, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reports that the Chiefs have looked into Marlon Mack. So we talked about it a few weeks ago, Indy put Marlon Mack on the block. And it just so happens that the Chiefs are looking to add a body to the running back room as CEH Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to be on the IR for the next three weeks at least. Yeah, it'd be an interesting pickup. It's one of the few spots that Matt could go where I think you would immediately have fantasy relevance. There there has to be a little bit of a tempered expectation because you see what Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has been in this offense, being the Chiefs over the first what five weeks of the season. He had a couple good games, but really just hasn't met expectations. But Marlon Mack, CEH, I would put probably both those guys in the list of sort of just interchangeable running backs around the middle of the pack. So if he goes there, I'm not going to get overly excited and start shooting heavy offers for him or anything like that. But it obviously is something to monitor. Marlon Mack, a guy that even in Dynasty, he may be out there on waiver wires. And all it takes is one move, and it's most likely going to happen before the trade deadline. I I were to bet, I'd say it's probably about 70-30, maybe 80-20 that he's on a new team and... It, it may be a team like the Chiefs where he could get a week or two out of relevance. So with CEH going on the IR, it's kind of a moment to sit back and look at what we thought of CEH, you know, 18 months ago yeah. and what we think of him now. He's not on either one of our buy or sell uh, segment today. So if you had to kind of put a pin in it, where would you, if you're a, a contender, how would you look at CEH right now? I think I'd lean more on the buy side for a contender than a sell. I don't think he's as bad as the last month has been for him. Just 
because look at the Chiefs, they're two and three, but I'm I'm not going to be panicky because look at the teams they play, look at the teams they've lost to. They've lost to what Baltimore, uh, the L.A. Chargers, and then this last week to the Bills. That's two playoff teams, and then a team in the Charger who who were just decimated by injuries last year, but look like they're going to be right in the hunt at the end this year. These are good teams that they lost to, so you can't panic about these losses. And when they start to beat up on lesser competition, the running game is going to be the main beneficiary. But at the same time, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is never going to reach the ceiling that we thought he was going to get to we as a fantasy community a year and a half ago when he was drafted in the first round. You just have to realize that he's not Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt is an elite running back. He's that good. There's a reason that he was that good with Kansas City. It's because he's a really good running back. CEH is just an interchangeable back back there. So if the team's not having success, he's not going to be having success. He will go as the Chiefs go. Yeah, he seems way more of a situation-dependent type of back than we thought he was coming out of the draft. And it's a shame because a lot of guys who had that 101 that year in, in non-superflex. Oh, yeah. Light got, it on fire. Yeah, they got sucked into the, <laughs> the CDH hype train. I mean, myself included. I still think I would have taken Jonathan Taylor, but I don't know, man. When when push came to shove and I had to make that decision, I don't know. I, I'm happy I didn't have the 101 that year. Uh, and didn't so have in our league record, I actually – we made I made a bunch of moves uh, to jump into the top five. I had the 103, 4, and 5. In that rookie class, I ended up taking DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, and the C.D. Lamb in whatever order you want to put it in. I got to say I'm pretty happy about that. The Dobbins injury is, yeah. yeah, that one's obviously tough. But I was I was shopping offers to Dwight, who's just the fan favorite of this show, uh, trying to get that 101 from him. And at a certain point, I think I offered Austin Eckler and a 1 for that 101, a deal that I would just be kicking myself if he would have accepted. Yeah, you said it the other day. It's crazy what we think we know now, <laughs> and then we look oh, back yeah. a year from now, or you know, even six months from now, and we're like, "Wow, that good thing that didn't sure. happen," or "Wow, I was an idiot; shouldn't have made that move." Um, that's as you much know, as you life. know. It's never as much as you think you know. Exactly, especially in dynasty fantasy football, that's for sure. All right, we're gonna move into our week five recap. Give you a little nugget about each game. Maybe uh, learn a little thing or two about these games that we missed or that we uh, watched this past weekend. So. I'll start us off in London, where the Falcons gave a proper beating to the Jets 27-20. Zach Wilson had an opportunity to go off in this one, but failed to do so, throwing for less than 200 yards and no touchdowns for the second time already this year. On the flip side, Kyle Pitts finally gave us a good performance. Granted, it was against the Jets, and the Falcons did not have Calvin Ridley or Russell Gage in London, but he now has 308 yards through five games. Stat that out over 17 games, and he'd have the most receiving yards by a rookie tight end in league history. We just want to see more touchdowns out of the kid. Yeah, Zach Wilson becomes the fifth rookie quarterback to start and lose in London. They're combined 0-5 across the pond. Matt Ryan moves into eighth place all-time on the all-time passing yards chart, passes Eli Manning and Kyle Pitts. Like you said, if you are concerned or were concerned at all, this put away any doubt in your mind. Through five games, he has the most receiving yards in rookie tight end history. On now to Minnesota, where the Skull Vikings get a late victory over the Detroit Lions, 19-17. The Lions, the last winless team in the NFC, due in part to losing back-to-back weeks on game-winning 50-plus yard field goals as time expired. That has never before happened in the history of the NFL. Some bad news on the injury front. Quintez Cephas broke his collarbone, and he may be done for the season. 
Justin Jefferson on the other side has 100 plus receiving yards for the ninth time in his career. Only Randy Moss had more such games in their first two seasons in Vikings history. Yeah, Justin Jefferson, he has 22 10 plus yard receptions. That's good for second in the league behind only Devontae Adams, which, you know, great company to be in. Kirk Cousins, he had a solid day. I mean, you wouldn't know by looking at the stat sheet, but he is top 12 in the league in yards touchdown percentage, completion percentage, and QBR. Although he's not sexy for fantasy, he's getting it done for real football in the NFL. Over to Washington, where the football team continues to disappoint. They uh, suffered a loss to New Orleans. Jameis Winston, he's always kind of confusing, but on Sunday, he had a good day. He threw for 279 yards and four touchdowns on just 15 completions. He went 15 to 30 to be exact. That low volume stays true, but he was hyper-efficient today. Alvin Kamara, he was the biggest beneficiary of that. Finally targeted the appropriate amount in this offense, which is starved of weapons. I think you'll start to see that a little bit more often. And on Washington's side, outside of Antonio Gibson, pretty disappointing day all around. No wide receiver finished as a wide receiver three or better. But Ricky Seals-Jones did, in fact, walk right into Logan Thomas's role, and he saw eight targets. So maybe a sleeper for you tight end desperate teams out there. Antonio Gibson was okay, but his 20-for-60 stat line actually brings his yard per carry for the season under four. Ricky Seals-Jones, a 20% target share in the loss. That's a mark that even Logan Thomas did not reach all season. And for the Saints, we told you to hold Marquez Callaway. I hope you did. He comes through with a four-for-85-2 and two stat line. His 21 targets on the season are second only to Alvin Kamara in New Orleans. I want it to be known, I am not taking a victory lap on Marquez Callaway. <laughs> you are alone on this one. I, I'm happy we held. <laughs> I'm not going to call him a league winner, but I'm happy we held. Next up, New England gets to win 25-22 to over the Houston Texans. The Texans were competitive, but they fall, making rookie quarterbacks 1-11 against Bill Belichick since 2014. Mac Jones, 20 or more completions in each of his first five career starts. No other Patriots rookie has more than two in that amount of time. The Pats had a different leading receiver again in Week 5, and that's been the case every single week of the season. Kobe Myers got to be the favorite in that offense, but he was held under a 20% target share for the first time since week 11 in 2020 when he played, you guessed it, the Houston Texans. Davis Mills heard that Bill Belichick is great against rookie quarterbacks, and he said, hell no, I'm going over 300 yards today. <laughs> Simply a banner day for the long neck phenom. Three horns never play with long necks. Down in Tampa Bay, the Bucks take down the Finns in the battle for Florida football supremacy. Thank God this is the last time we will see Jacoby Brissett. But Miles Gaskin is oh. gonna hopefully, but Miles Gaskin is definitely gonna be sad to see him go. He force-fed Gaskin in this one to the tune of 10 targets, and Miles Gaskin used those targets to finish as the RB8, his first time in the top 24 at the running back position this year. TB12 hunting some more records. He's now second all-time in four touchdown pass performances and tied for second, tied second for most five touchdown pass performances. Kyle, do you know who's number one? Oh, I read in the show sheet that you were going to ask me this. I should have cheated. Uh, I'm assuming since you're asking me, gotta be Rogers. Drew Brees. Ooh. All right, yeah, Tom Brady, pretty good. But he throws for 400 yards and five touchdowns for the first time in his career this late, and he's still accomplishing first. One of his favorite receivers, Antonio Brown, becomes the fastest player in league history to 900 receptions, doing so in 143 games. And the aforementioned Miles Gaskin sends 10 passes and a couple of touchdowns, the first Dolphin ever to achieve that at the running back position. His 31.9 fantasy points on the day matches his previous total on the entire season. Next up in Cincinnati, where the Green Bay Packers just 
I, well, I don't even know the best way to put it. They won the game, if you want to call it a win. <laughs> Devontae Adams, 206 receiving yards. That's a career high. He's the first Packer to go for over 200 receiving yards since Jordy Nelson back in 2014. On the other side, they got a pretty good wide receiver as well. Jamar Chase joins Hall of Famer Randy Moss as the only players in the Super Bowl era aged 21 or younger with five-plus receiving touchdowns in their team's first five games of the season. Also, the third rookie since we've started keeping this stat with 50-plus receiving yards in each of their team's first five games of the season. The other two, Earl McCullough and C.D. Lamb. How about some more praise for the rookie? Snell has four touchdowns on 20-plus yard targets. That leads the league, so pretty amazing stuff from him. And uh, as for the kickers in week five, things were pretty rough. Collectively, in the NFL, kickers missed 12 extra points, which ties the NFL record in a week. They also missed 12 field goals on the day. According to ESPN, it's the first week to have at least 10 missed field goals and at least 10 missed extra points since the point after touchdown was moved back from the two-yard line to the 15-yard line in 2015. Pretty wild stuff going on now. All right, over to the Steel City, where Pittsburgh defeats Denver. 27-19, 27-19, to 19, but it came at a cost as Juju Smith-Schuster left with a shoulder injury, which is now feared to be season-ending. So if it is humanly possible, Najee Harris may see even more work. And as well, uh, Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson should see some more targets as the season goes forward. They both had pretty solid games against a tough Broncos defense, finishing as the wide receivers 10 and 23. As for the Broncos, Teddy was able to make it back, and Cortland Sutton owners rejoice as the connection looks to be intact. Sutton finished inside the top 10 for the second time this year. And that first time he did so without scoring a touchdown. The one he scored this weekend was actually his first receiving touchdown since 2019. He's gone over 100 yards in two of his last four games. On the other side, the Steelers are 18-0-1 since 2018 when they rushed for over 100 yards. They are the only undefeated team in the NFL over that span. Deontay Johnson saw just an 8% target share. He had not been below 30% in a game this season. Ben Roethlisberger also throws for two touchdowns for the first time in 2021. On now to Carolina, where the Eagles get a 21-18 win over the Carolina Panthers, Jalen Hurts becomes the first quarterback since the merger to rush for more than 30 yards in each of his first nine starts. Miles Sanders' final stat line, five targets, five catches, six yards. Yikes. Another yikes, Rodney Anderson has yet to finish higher than Rodney? wide receiver 43. <laughs> Did I say Rodney? Oh, well, might have been. Uh, Robbie Anderson. I don't think Rodney Anderson has done it either, to be fair. But <laughs> Robbie Anderson has not yet finished higher than wide receiver 43 in a game this season. Rookie Tommy Tremble is the first rookie tight end with a receiving touchdown and a rushing touchdown since Ethan Horton back in 1985. And we all remember the stud that was Ethan Horton. <laughs> Yeah, how could I forget? (laughs) If you need a fantasy quarterback, Jalen Hurts will deliver. He's proven that by now. But just don't watch it happen in live. Sure. On live television. It's hard to watch. It's it's offensive. On Carolina, Sam Darnold, five interceptions total over the past two weeks. Uh, Maybe, you know, don't don't take those victory laps too early on Sam Darnold. All right, in Jacksonville, the Titans laid the smackdown on the Jaguars 37-19. Trevor Lawrence stat line. Wouldn't really value, but he's really starting to look like the quarterback we thought he could be. He's made incredible strides in his first five weeks of the year, despite being in the situation that he's in. There's all that turmoil in Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah, so this is kind of like a bit at this point, but we got to get the bottle of LaVisca Chanel some more. He had less <laughs> targets than Jamal Agnew and Tavon Austin. It's insane. But the first target he went uh. for was for 58 yards, and it was one of the best catch and runs you'll see all week. 
that is kind of what I thought you'd be getting more out of him. Hopefully they saw that and can start the game plan for that a little bit more. Uh, as for Tennessee, Derrick Henry is putting on his best season today. He's averaging 128 rushing yards, 25 receiving yards, and 1.4 touchdowns per game. He's clearly the RB1 right now, but he's averaging more than five points than the RB2 per week. Truly incredible stuff out of Derrick Henry so far. Yeah, just a crazy good start. He surpasses his own record from last season for the most scrimmage yards through the first five weeks of the season in franchise history. The other side, Jacksonville, 20-game lose streak is the third most all-time. And Trevor Lawrence, talking about that turmoil, he now has more NFL losses in five games than he had in high school and college combined. Just wow. From just wow into a just wow game, Cleveland falls 42-47 to to the L.A. Chargers. Justin Herbert joins Patrick Mahomes as the only quarterbacks in the Super Bowl era with 40 or more passing touchdowns and less than 15 interceptions in their first 20 starts. Mike Williams, holy cow, what a resurgence for the fifth-year wide receiver. For the second time this season, he has seven or more catches, 120-plus yards, and two-plus receiving touchdowns in a game. Just outstanding. Nick Chubb. He's pretty outstanding as well. Over 100 rushing yards and a score for the 12th time in his career. Only Hall of Famers Jim Brown and Leroy Kelly have more as a Cleveland Brown of all time. And Baker Mayfield loses his third game while scoring 42 or more points. That is already an NFL record. No other quarterback has done so more than once. Yeah, a major battle between two top five teams in the AFC. Really impressive stuff from both sides. But Justin Herbert, like you said, in his first 20 games, he has 40 touchdown passes. Only other guy to do that is Patrick Mahomes. But also, they share this stat. The first, the only two quarterbacks to throw for 5,900 yards in their first 20 wow. games. No sophomore slump for Justin Herbert, that's for sure. In Vegas, the Bears rolled over the Raiders 20-9. Damian Williams only had one more opportunity than rookie Khalil Herbert in this one, so keep an eye out for that rookie to take some more work as he was the more efficient runner. Justin Fields' stat line kind of makes you want to vomit, but he did outscore Derrick Henry, or not Derrick Henry, excuse me, Derrick Carr, after Derrick Carr was betrayed by offensive line again. New head coach or not, this offense is going to be plagued by a horrible offensive line uh, for the remainder of the year. Hopefully that can get remedied here shortly with the infusion of new ideas as both of these teams are probably going to be looking for new head coaches in no time. Yeah, Allen Robinson the second has fewer than 70 receiving yards in every single game this season. He had 70 or more in 12 games with Mitch Trubisky in 2020. Kadarius Toney, yeah, I know he didn't play in the game, but he had more receiving yards this week than Allen Robinson has on this season. And the Raiders, not so pretty over there either. The Raiders have not scored on their opening drive in each of their last 11 games. Next up, an NFC West battle. The Niners fall to the Arizona Cardinals, 17-10. DeAndre Hopkins has five or more catches for the first time in his last four games. His three-game streak where he was held under five catches, the longest dating back to his rookie season. And James Conner's score in the first quarter was his fifth rushing touchdown in the last three games. He had just one score in the previous eight. Some bad news on the injury front. Max Williams suffers a season-ending knee injury, and Trey Lance suffers a sprained knee. San Francisco is going into the bye. They'll have time to figure it out. Lance, not impressive through the air, but he was outstanding on the ground. 89 rushing yards, the fourth most by a rookie all-time in their debut, and the third most rushing yards by a quarterback on the season. Yeah, this is the last team standing undefeated 
Uh, the Arizona Cardinals, great to see. But let's get some more out of Kyler, huh? After this uh, blistering start he was on, he's been the quarterback 15, 10, and 23 over the past three weeks. So look for that. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> look for that to get back to the norm here shortly. So down at Big D, the Cowboys keep rolling. They beat the Giants by 24 points on Sunday. But the big story was Kadarius Tony. Just like you mentioned, hands up if you thought Kadarius Tony. The Kadarius Tony pick was another Dave Gettleman blunder. I know that I was one of those guys. But, My hand will stay up. <laughs> but I'm not so sure Tony can be this kind of impactful player on a regular basis. But he, so far, has far outshot my expectations. With Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones likely out next week after suffering injuries this past week, look for Kadarius Tony to see a lot of work again here in week six. For Dallas, Zeke is on fire. The RB3 over the past three weeks, and I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. As long as this running game is as potent as it's been, we'll likely see a slight muting of the passing volume and production, but that running game has been very productive so far. Don't forget, Kenny Galladay also injured in this one. He's expected to miss six. Yeah, the aforementioned Kadarius Tony finishes 189 yards through the air, the most in a game all time by a New York Giants rookie. And Ezekiel Elliott goes over 100 rushing yards for the 30th time in his illustrious career. Cowboys with two or more picks in five straight games. That's tied for the longest streak in franchise history. Dalton Schultz, currently the tight end four on the season. We've seen him with a 25% target share or better in each of the last three weeks. On to primetime now, Sunday Night Football. The Buffalo Bills get the win 38-20 over the Kansas City Chiefs. Each of the Bills' last 11 wins have been by 10 or more points. The longest suck streak in NFL history dating back to the greatest show on turf and the St. Louis Rams back in 1998-99. On the Chiefs' side, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire placed on the injured reserve. The Chiefs 4-8 now in games when allowing 30 or more points since 2019. Josh Allen, man, he is legit. So far this year, he has 10 touchdowns and zero interceptions in the red zone. Very hot right now. He's sitting pretty as the quarterback four. The Bills themselves, through five games, have a point differential of plus 108. That is sixth best all time in the first five games of the year. To Baltimore. We're finishing in Baltimore where Lamar finished all over the Colts defense. Show <laughs> He edged out oh, Herbert gosh. as quarterback one on the week. How low brown. <laughs> and, and quarterback three on the year. His 442 passing yards is his highest total in a single game by 118 yards. So a real Jeez. career day for Lamar. On the other side, JT has strung together back-to-back -to -back weeks as an RB1. And with Houston, Tennessee, the Jets, and Jacksonville in four of his next five weeks, you can get used to that kind of production. And his quarterback, Carson Wentz, becomes the fourth player in Colts history with over 400 passing yards in a game. The other, Peyton Manning, Johnny Unitas, Andrew Luck. Not bad company at all. Jonathan Taylor, the first Colts running back with over 100 receiving yards and a receiving score in a game since, hey, our boy, Joseph Adai, back in week nine in 2007. The Ravens, fewer than 100 rushing yards for the first time in their last 44 games. Mark Andrews has joined Steve Smith Sr. back in week three of 2015 as the only Baltimore player with 10 or more catches, over 100 yards, and two scores in a game. And Lamar Jackson passes Vinny Testaverde for the most passing yards in a game in Baltimore Ravens history. Great stat to close us out. That's the end of the week five recap. But I, I have to give you this one stat before I forget it because it's, it's kind of on the tip of my tongue. I don't know the exact number, but I believe the New York Jets... If you take all of their first quarter yards combined from all five games of the year, 
was less than 100 You're about yards. You're me sad. Oh, my gosh. Less than 100 yards through all five oh. first quarter performances by the Jets. I remember the Packers last season in just a historical offensive season for them. I think it was like 15 weeks before they didn't score on their first drive. And then hearing these stats now about the Jets and the Raiders and their struggles in their first drive and first quarters of games. It's like, holy cow, man. It's obviously very depressing, but we're not Jets fans. If you had to pick right now, what is the – We are pro-Jets. We are. We're definitely – this is a a Jets stand podcast for sure. But if you had to pick, what is the – the last franchise you'd want to be a fan of right now. Now, I'm not saying of all time, like the Browns have probably been the hardest yeah. of all time, but right now it's, it's solid to be a Browns fan. All right. There, yeah, there are some some immediate contenders, the Jets, the Jaguars, the Lions, uh, maybe even the Raiders with what's going on there. But I think I think you can safely eliminate the Raiders just because I think they're, what, 3-2 and two and they got off to that hot start. And yeah. they, they've been at least in the playoff conversation in the last few years. Um, and I'm going to eliminate the Lions as well because even as a rival NFC North fan, I'm a big fan of Dan Campbell and just how much he seems to give a shit about the team and yeah. winning, and he's a fun guy to root for. And so that narrows it down to the Jags and the Jets. And ah, that's tough because even though we're a Jets fan podcast, the Jaguars are an expansion team, so their numbers all time aren't as depressing they were in the AFC Championship game a few years ago. They have the best quarterback prospect of all time. And Urban Meyer is probably not long for the state of Florida unless it's in a retirement home. So I'm going to say the Jets would wow. be the least of all those franchises that I want to root for. Even though I love Zach Wilson, I, I love Coach Sala, I love Mike LaFleur, it's just not a good spot with their track record lately. I do expect them to rebound for the record in the next several years. So I think I would pick Jags. I think I would least likely want to be a Jags yeah, fan because other than Trevor Lawrence, I feel like you have nothing going for you. Like, it's definitely true. They're still like on their and, way down until Urban Meyer gets taken out of there. Yeah, like, it, it might get worse. The Jets every could year be you have bottoming to deal with out the... right now, but I think it's only kind of up from here. I mean, it, it can't get any worse. The Jags yeah. can be even worse because if Urban Meyer hangs on there for another year and a half, that's rough. You know what? You're convincing me because the head coach is such a big role. Like people don't realize the way I think about football, it's two head coaches playing a game of chess, but you don't have the same pieces. The good teams obviously have three or four queens, a couple bishops, and and a half a dozen knights. While you got teams like the Jags and the Jets, they're out there playing with 16 pawns right now. It's a game of chess, but the head coaches ultimately, I think, have the biggest impact on how the game goes. And yes. for that reason, yep, I'm switching my switching my answer. It's Jacksonville. And yes. one other thing I thought of while you were talking is, yeah, you you also have to deal with the rumors we're talking about putting an NFL team in London, which for the record, I don't think is going to happen. But they're always at the forefront of those rumors because they seem to have a bigger fan base across the pond than they do in Florida. Yeah, they're the unofficial London Jaguars, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, so let's get on to our contenders and rebuilders, buys and sells. So let's go over what we had last week. Kyle, who was your contender buy last week? So for the contenders last week, we're going buys first, you said? Yeah. Okay, I believe, and I'm scrolling through the show sheet, I believe it was Corey Davis. Yes. Uh, get a good Friday. Yes, okay, Corey Davis. Yes. 
All right, yeah, Corey Davis. He obviously didn't have a great week against the Falcons. I kind of expected a big blow-up game there, but it just didn't happen. The Jets' offense couldn't stay on the field and couldn't do anything for the for really most of the game, but especially in the first half. They just couldn't get first downs, couldn't keep the ball moving. There wasn't enough volume really to get Corey Davis into it. So I still stand by that one. I still think better days are ahead, and I think Corey Davis can be a, a part of a championship contender's roster. So I had rebuilders last week, and my rebuilder buy was Cole Komet. Uh, big surprise. <laughs> He's still on the Chicago Bears, so he didn't he didn't have a great mm-hmm. game. Uh, but I, I still stand by that. I like getting young athletic tight ends, so uh, the process is there. Let's be a little patient on the results, and uh, hopefully it pans out. But I still think it's, he'd be it's worth not going to be it's not going to be taking L's or running victory laps on these rebuilders when we talk about them the next week. They, they are rebuilder buys and sells for a reason. It's because we're looking at the long term picture here, and Cole Komet still absolutely meets the bill. So contender sell, you had that last week. Who was your sell last week? Yes, my contender sell of last week was Henry Rux. Yes. And the situation in Vegas is now changing a little bit, which may be a little more beneficial to Ruggs. But all in all, I would still say that I'm anti-Henry Ruggs. I, I don't think with Derek Carr as his quarterback that he's ever going to have more than a spike throw here or there. So standing by that one. Not 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 a big fan of Henry Rooks. Yeah, it still looks like a solid call there. Uh, my rebuilder self from last week was Tom Brady. And what did he do? He went through for five touchdowns <laughs> and 400 yards. Uh, so if you didn't sell him yet, you still got your chance to sell him. Hey, he's as hot as ever. The window is open. Absolutely. All right, on to this right. week. I'll have you start us off again. Who's our contender buy for the week? Julio, Julio Jones. That's what they're going to say when you make a catch. Julio, Julio Jones, wide receiver for the Tennessee Titans. Julio, he's missed the last... Uh, two and a half games due to a hamstring injury, but we're expecting him back hopefully soon, maybe as soon as this week. Well, he's on your team, season. so he's definitely not going to be out. No, yes. So if I really want him back, I'll trade him away, and hopefully he can go somewhere else and be great. But Julio Jones, like I said, missed the last two and a half games due to a hamstring injury. But so far this season, let's look at the two and a half games that he has played, where he has 12 catches on 18 targets, 204 yards through those 10 quarters of play. That's a 17-game pace of 82 catches and 1,300 yards. Not bad, right? The Tennessee offense has been, and all that happening, wow, the Tennessee offense has been extraordinarily run-heavy, and I'm about to tell you why. Their pass-to-run ratio for touchdowns on the season is .75, and even in run-heavy teams, it's really uncommon to see that number dip below one. And what does that mean? That means they're averaging 1.6 touchdowns per game on the ground, which, by the way, is third in the NFL, and only 1.2 touchdowns per game through the air, which ranks 23rd. And you may say, okay, it's Tennessee Titans. They're a run-heavy team. And while, yes, you are slightly correct, they've never been this run-heavy, even in prime Derrick Henry. So dating back to last season, before the Titans had Julio, they were averaging two passing touchdowns a game and one and a half rushing touchdowns on the ground without Julio, still with Derrick Henry. 
it was still a two to 1.5 ratio touchdowns through the air as opposed to on the ground. Take it back another year, 2019, A.J. Brown's rookie season. They were averaging 1.3 touchdowns on the ground and 1.8 through the air. I'd take it back to 2019 because that's the year Ryan Tannehill took over. His touchdown rate this season, 3.5%, which is below even league average and well below Ryan Tannehill's career average. His average through the air last year was a 6.9 touchdown percentage. Nice. And 7.7 back in 2019. So we have historical data backing up the Titans being a passing offense more than a running offense when they get to the red zone. And we have historical data for Ryan Tannehill saying he's that type of quarterback. So if you take out this season, the time that Julio has missed, he's averaging over seven targets per game. In those 10 quarters, he was averaging 7.2 targets just behind A.J. Brown's 7.6 in games they've played on the season. Right now, Julio is being sold at a discount because of the injury concerns, the time he missed last year, compounding with the time he's missing this year. But if you look at the last 12 games he's played this season and dating back to last year, which includes a couple partial games where he left due to injury, He's averaging, or over those 12 games, he has 63 catches, 975 yards, and three touchdowns. That's a 16-game pace that would have made him the wide receiver 14 last season between Robert Woods and Keenan Allen in half PPR. You cannot sell Julio Jones for a wide receiver 2 price tag right now. You can, however, buy him at that price. It's a buy on a window that's going to close when he comes back from injury and has another blow-up game, because he did have that blow-up game, although he didn't score. He went well over 100 yards back in Week 2, and I think those games are going to be a lot more common moving forward as we start to see this run-pass ratio ratio shift back to normal for the Tennessee Titans. Derrick Henry can still be great. He was great last year. But he wasn't scoring all the touchdowns for the Tennessee Titans the way he has this season. I expect the passing game to rebound, and I expect Julio, remember, this is one of my bold predictions coming into the season, is that he would actually be the wide receiver one in Tennessee over A.J. Brown. I expect it to happen, even if it doesn't rebound to the point of passing A.J. Brown, which is, by the way, also a buy. Absolutely send offers for A.J. Brown if the manager's panicking in your league. But Julio Jones is the one I think is absolutely attainable, and you can actually acquire to make that championship push. This is a bona fide contender buy because we don't know how much longer Julio has and he's coming off an injury. So there is some risk there, but we have seen what the ceiling is, you know, over the past decade of a Julio Jones, just average performance. You know, it's well above what you can expect from most other wide receivers. The only thing I'm concerned about here is the injuries. And obviously, you know, he has been fairly injured over the past two years, but that's you're, you're, you're buying that discount. Like, The price that you'll be getting for him is not a full-fledged Julio Jones price. It's a coming-off-an-injury Julio Jones price. And that's something that I think a lot of people are, are, I don't know if taking for granted is the right word, but when they look at Julio, I I think that they're baking in that there has been a decline in what he's done on the field, and there hasn't. He is missing more time these last couple years, but I read off the numbers. He's every bit as efficient as he's been his whole career. The 16-game paces like we're talking about are still right there with the best of the best. So when he gets on the field, like we're not talking about a boom-bust receiver right there who may sink your week with a two-point week or anything like that. It's when he's healthy, you play him. You don't have to worry about that. Look at some of the sells that I made over the last few weeks. These boom-bust guys, these... Uh, Henry Ruggs, these uh, Marquise Browns that, yeah, they're going to have some great weeks for you. And overall on the season, they're probably going to show a lot better in the standings than they're actually going to be for your team because they will sink you weeks. They will single-handedly lose you weeks with single-digit performers performances. And those are much more uncommon when you talk about a receiver of Julio Jones caliber. Yeah, not to mention this Tennessee defense is, is very bad. 
they're going to be oh, they're going to be in some bad game scripts as the season goes on. They're going to have to throw the ball. Like I, as much as Julio Jones is a buy, like you said, AJ Brown's a buy, Ryan Tannehill's a buy. You want pieces yes. on the Tennessee offense going forward because you know that regression's coming and they're going to start throwing the ball more. So I'm on board with this one for sure. All right, my rebuilder buy is going to be T. Higgins, wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I am a verified T. Higgins fan at this point. I've talked about him quite a bit. But I want to talk about why I think rebuilders should be targeted. So he's been dinged up quite a bit over the past three weeks. And he also just had a generally slow week in week five against the Packers. And it creates a little buy window on its own. But I think the perception of his teammate, Jamar Chase, really helps lower his value and open that buy window even more. So let's talk about Absolutely. The, let's talk about the player himself. He came out of Clemson last year, drafted in the second round. He had a great rookie year. He produced very well. We've been spoiled by a lot of these rookie performances, guys like Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, but we seem to forget about T. Higgins and the great profile that he came into the league with. Right? He had a uh, 90-something percentile breakout age at age 18, and he's still only 22 years old right now. But as a rookie, he finished with just over 900 yards and six touchdowns in 14 games and was the wide receiver 28. Now, that's really good as a rookie. And he only played, uh, I believe, 10 games with Joe Burrow. Five of those games in his rookie year were without Joe Burrow. Uh, so that's, it makes it even more impressive when you give it some context. The 900 yards isn't exactly incredible, but it's still good for a rookie. But where I get excited is the touchdowns. We had six touchdowns from him as a rookie. That puts him in company with some great names, guys like Amari Cooper, Dwayne Bowe, Justin Jefferson, A.J. Green all had that same number Dwayne of touchdowns. Dwayne Bowe, great company. You like that, Dwayne Bowe? <laughs> uh, but A.J. Green... Wasn't Dwayne Bowe whenever... Sorry to step on you, but when Kansas City had that streak where they went like a year and a half without throwing a touchdown to a wide receiver, wasn't it Dwayne Bowe who broke that? Probably, I don't know. I mean, Dwayne Bowe was... I think so. He was one of those hyper-athletic, not really a good wide receiver, just really Dude, could you guys. imagine... I don't want to go off on a tangent, but could you imagine Dwayne Bowe, how much better he would be on this Kansas City Chiefs oh team God. where instead of Alex Smith throwing him the football, he'd have <laughs> oh, Patty Mahomes? Insane. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, but Anyway, yeah, I digress. I mentioned A.J. Green in, in that group of guys that also had six touchdowns as a rookie. Him and T. Higgins actually share some more weird parallels to the beginning of their career. Obviously, they both were drafted by Cincinnati. They both came in at 6'4", 210. And through the first 15 games of both of their careers, they went over 1,000 yards. Green slightly outgained Higgins by about 50 yards, but they also both had seven touchdowns in their first 15 games. So really interesting to see that comparison there. And they also play very much alike as the above-the-rim red zone threats um, that I think any team could use but seem like they're the model wide receiver for the organization like Cincy. They love those kind of guys. So he's at least shown a great start to his career, something that could provide a great outlook for us. So let's fast forward to this year. He sits at the wide receiver 62, the points per game wide receiver 58. So you can't even say that, you know, he's missed two games. Um, let's look at his points per game. Still not impressive. And I don't really care, honestly, because I remember his rookie year, and I want you to remember that, once again, he's only 22 years old. He had a fantastic rookie year. He's got a great breakout age. He comes from a university. I know you're not supposed to scout the helmet, but he comes from a university that produces really good wide receivers. But nonetheless, it's been the Jamar Chase yeah. show so far. And that hasn't, or at least in my opinion, is not a bad thing for T. Higgins. Because obviously we'd like a better start to his sophomore campaign, but this is not a death wish by any means. I look at Jamar Chase and T. Higgins the same way I look at Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. I know I've made this comparison before mm -hmm. on the show, but I think it's worth bringing back up. They're both extremely talented, but they're vastly different wide receivers. 
One is more versatile and dynamic. That's the Chris Godwin, Jamar Chase type, while the other one uses size, athleticism, ball skills, physicality. That's Mike Evans and T. Higgins to a T. And those roles can be used on any offense with any quarterback because of the the uh, the way they open up a playbook and kind of leave chances for both players to produce. And they can and will produce, in my opinion, not exclusive of one another, but in a way that can be beneficial for fantasy and real football. And I think the way the fantasy community has been looking at T. Higgins, it would make you think that they cannot produce together. So I think that's where we can find some value. And as rebuilders, we love buying young athletic freaks, and T. Higgins is, is next in line. He's, he's a guy that slips up as a sophomore, and smart fantasy gamers will scoop him up out of value. And that's what I think you should do. So go find that Higgins owner, take advantage of their disappointment, buy him low, and enjoy the presence on your roster for years to come. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of this one. It's This is one of my favorite buys that you've done so far. And it's mainly because, like you said, people it doesn't have to be Jamar Chase or T. Higgins. It can be both. It eventually, I think, will be both. We're also seeing the Bengals right now uh, put aside all the efficiency that Jamar Chase has had, which as great of a wide receiver as he is, as great of a prospect as he was, it's not sustainable. He's not going to catch a 50-yard bomb touchdown every single week. And... They're also not going to be running the ball 35 times a game. They're near the top of the league when it comes to rushing attempts, and Joe Mixon is getting all the volume right now. Eventually, these bomb plays, these positive game scripts, they're a three and one or a three and two team now after last week. And I, I don't know. I think they were playing a little bit above their skill level. I think you're going to see them on a lot more negative game scripts moving forward. And when you see those 50 yard bombs disappear, when you see Joe Mixon get neutralized. T. Higgins is going to be that main beneficiary. And, and like you, for all the reasons that you said, I, I love his profile when it comes to the style of play is very unique for uh, Cincinnati. He's the only wide receiver with the size that he has to go with the hands and the route running and everything else. So overall, outstanding pick. I'm completely on board. I, I dead ass a couple of days ago in a league that I think is a league that we don't share was putting out T. Higgins offers um, just this week, trying to get him even a redraft because I think better days are coming sooner than later. Yeah, when you miss two games in the first five weeks of the year and a new, you know, shiny rookie comes on your team and blows up, it's so easy to forget about it. If you're not addicted sure. to fantasy like we are, it's easy to forget about guys like that. And, and you uh, know, I think I even fell victim to that a little bit this offseason with all the Jamar Chase hype. I watched T. Higgins fall, and we're not huge on rankings because we don't think they're actually been very beneficial, even though everyone does them. I saw him fall sort of in that low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three range, and it's probably a disservice to him because he's he's just better than that. All right, we ready to get into our contender sales? We are getting into the sales! Okay. Sell. No, 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 take, just get it out of here. You can sell anything, sell, sell, sell me this pen right here. You can sell anything, sell that. We all sell out every day. Might as well be on the winning team. Sell! So last week I told you to dump Henry Ruggs. Hopefully you've done that by now. The next player you should be getting rid of if you are in contention for a ship is Chase Edmonds. Now, you and I didn't record last week. This this would have sounded a lot better last week before he came in and put up a dud week five, but the same argument still stands. Chase Edmonds is currently the RB19 and half PPR through five weeks of the season, so a mid-range RB2. He has zero touchdowns on the season. 
And I know what you're going to say, like, best SpongeBob meme, touchdowns are volatile. Like, whatever, dude. Not when it comes to a guy like Chase, or, uh, yeah, sorry, Chase Edmonds. He's got a whole career to back this up. So looking at 2021, we'll get to his career, don't worry. Looking at 2021, he has seven red zone carries. That's it. Weird that you're not scoring touchdowns when you only have seven red zone carries. That's just over one per game. And that's also less than half of his teammate, James Conner. He has 15 red zone carries and five touchdowns to go with them. Chase Edmonds only has seven career touchdowns on 266 career attempts. Seven out of 266 in what is now his fourth season in the NFL. That's 38 attempts per touchdown. And we're talking about a running back who's only averaging about 10 to 15 carries per game. So congratulations. Every third week, you might get a touchdown out of Chase Edmonds, even though we're now going into week six and it hasn't happened yet. Week four was the first time we saw him break 15 fantasy points on the season. And that's because he averaged 10 yards per carry. That's obviously not happening every week. He's a career average of 4.4 yards per carry this season. He's averaging over five and a half. So a full yard per carry higher this season than he's averaged throughout his career. He also has 23 catches on the season. That's tied for the team lead with DeAndre Hopkins. So although, yes, that passing or that uh, receiving game work is great. It provides us that nice, stable floor. If you can't combine that with touchdowns, there's no ceiling. And that's what we're looking at when we look at Chase Edmonds. He's right now fourth in the league in targets at the running back position behind Najee Harris, DeAndre Swift, and Corderell Patterson. All four of those are primary ball carriers on their team, while Edmonds is playing well behind James Conner. He's being outcarried 63-49 to on the season. The offense right now, the Cardinals in general, they're undefeated. They're the top team in the league as of right now. They were rolling coming into week five, and then they ran into the San Francisco 49ers. And let me tell you this, over the next six weeks, they'll get those same 49ers who just held Chase Edmonds under four fantasy points, plus the Cleveland Browns and the Carolina Panthers. So some tough defensive matchups coming up in the next six weeks. So don't hear what I'm not saying on this. Chase Edmonds has one of the best floors you can ask out of your flex play or is your RB2, but that ceiling's just not there. And if you're a contender, anyone who's won a championship before will tell you that those floor plays are great, but you need ceiling plays to win. You need those players who can score you 30 points on any random week. And Chase Edmonds is just not going to be that guy. He's the kind of guy who, yeah, if your goal on the season is to go 7-6 and six and win maybe one playoff game, by all means, go out there and acquire Chase Edmonds, hold Chase Edmonds, whatever. But if you have bigger aspirations than that, if you want to come home with a championship and make your family proud of you, Chase Edmonds is not going to be the one to help you do it. You bring dishonor to your family. Dishonor. Dishonor on your whole family. Make a note of this. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. <laughs> Dude, honestly, it, I like this pick. I do. I initially looked at it and I was like, God, you know, I, I don't like it. But you kind of got me with the... The fact that he only has seven touchdowns in his career, which I did not know, that is that's, that's crazy. Bad. That's only seven more than me. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like low key kind of old. Like he's going to be twenty six when he's next been in the league starts. a little while. It's his uh, fourth season. I remember I I hated him coming out of the draft whenever uh, what three or four years ago in two thousand eighteen. 
And it was because I couldn't find any college tape on him because he went to a middle of nowhere college and none of his games were televised. So I'm watching all of his college film that year on like home video cameras that were put on a VCR (laughs) and then someone taped over their old wedding video to get more tape. So there's like the blurred squiggly lines everywhere, just the worst quality ever. (laughs) So yeah, that already put a sour taste in my mouth because I couldn't properly scout him. Yeah, he's he's fairly old and he's he's losing snaps to James Conner and you know, that offense, as potent as it is, you're telling me they're not going to bring in a second, third, fourth round running back this offseason? I guarantee it. Yeah, very, gar- very possible. Yeah, I guarantee it. I think, you know, as long as Cliff Kingsbury's still there, um, granted they, they're 5-0, and oh, I don't see him getting fired anytime soon. I guarantee he's going to convince somebody to get him another shiny new weapon for his quote-unquote yeah. uh, intricate, dynamic offense, which is just trust Kyler Murray to make everything happen for you. <laughs> There you go. Baby legs. Baby legs. Here we go. That's the sound I make when I'm trying to run fast. All right. Our last player in the segment, my rebuilder cell, is Cordero Patterson. So, no. This may be low hanging fruit, but it deserves mentioning. Okay. Cordero Patterson, he sits as the RB3 in our league. It's just insane. It's <sighs> incredible. He's the RB3. So, why would I tell him? Why would I tell you to sell? There's a, there's a lot of reasons, but let's look at the way he's Cordero Patterson. Let's look at the way he's doing it. Right, he's averaging 34 rush yards, which is nothing special, but 59 receiving yards as a running back, very nice. Five receptions. We know they're very valuable as opposed to carries, and he's averaging one touchdown per game so far. So he's not going to score a touchdown every game, right? No, of course not. But let's say hypothetically he hasn't scored any touchdowns this year. He would still be the RB14 with zero touchdowns. That's mm. how good he's been. You hear that, Chase Edmonds? You hear that, Chase Edmonds? <laughs> so he'd be just behind Antonio Gibson and ahead of Joe Mixon if he hasn't scored a single Ooh. touchdown this year. But he's clearly well ahead wow. of both of those guys because he is getting in the end zone. So why do you sell him? The simple answer is he's 30 years old and you're a rebuilder. You know, you have no excuse for keeping a 30 year old productive back on your roster, but there's more to it. Okay, so we have to remember this is Arthur Smith's first time as a head coach. He inherited this roster. The GM in the offseason decided that they that they could still compete, so they restructured Matt Ryan's deal. That'll be important later. They also drafted a, a you know fresh new weapon in round one, Kyle Pitts. So they did not bring Cordell Patterson in to be the long term option at running back. He was brought in to be the lightning to Mike Davis's thunder, and with his explosiveness, albeit even at age thirty and Arthur Smith's game planning, that's a productive spot to be in right now. And he's really, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Cordell Patterson. He's putting on right now. But that being said, this roster, like all rosters inherited by a new coach, will be overhauled drastically in the next 18 months. Remember when I said that Matt Ryan's contract was restructured. That put the Falcons in a very rough spot with the cap. They currently have just $1.7 million in cap room, and next year they're only going to have $15 million in cap space before they make any moves. That's good for 25th in the league. And a team this poor is going to use that cap space very uh, hesitantly. Is that a word? They're not going to want to spend the money they have because they know they're not in a position to compete. So that that restructure was horrible, and it set them back. And Cordell Patterson is on a one-year deal. So he'll be an unrestricted free agent in four months. Do you really want to have a 30-year-old running back who is a free agent most likely won't be brought back to the only team that he's produced with in his entire career because they're in cap hell 
And the head coach is going to want a rookie quarterback, a rookie running back that he can grow with. You saw what he did in Tennessee yeah. with a good running back. So no, of course not. You do not want Cordell Patterson on your team as a rebuilder, but he still has value to a contender. So you have to get rid of him. Get a second round pick for him. Let somebody else ride the magical season he's having to an eventual early playoff exit. I'm looking at you, Dwight. <laughs> Uh, yeah, in our league record worth mentioning, Dwight, what did he send? A second. Uh, 22 second? That is a second. Ugh. And that's tough, but that's also the type of deal that you can look for when you're talking about selling the RB3 in the season and the sample size that we put out there now five weeks, and he's still at just that high as a running back. Um, interesting number, this one's courtesy of uh, J.J. Zacharyson, is that without Calvin Ridley, we saw Cordero Patterson this last week in London, his offensive snap skyrocketed. He went from 33%, 35%, 42%, and 30% over his first four weeks where he was obviously playing second fiddle to this last week, 59%, which is pretty solid when you're talking about running back snap share. But it's absolutely right that the efficiency has just been outlandish. And I don't think, and feel free to double check me at home, I don't think we've seen a 10th year breakout running back before, although I could be wrong on that one. Is that a, cha- is that a challenge? That, yeah, yeah. find that one for me. But, yeah, he's the kind of guy you may have picked up off waivers even as recently as, like, this offseason. So there's a good chance that there is a Cordero Patterson sitting on a roster somewhere that's not ready to compete. And that rebuilding roster, strike in now. Cash in now. Even if Cordero Patterson does maintain this for the rest of the year and he finishes as an RB1, which seems unlikely but is probably possible just given the fast start he's gotten off to – as a rebuilder, you can sell that for a day two pick or a second round pick. And I think it's a move that could be mutually beneficial. You can find a contender who's a running back away and try to convince them that Cordero Patterson's this guy. And if they really are sold, I mean, I think a second rounder's high, but shoot for that first if you're talking about a contender. Try to get a first round pick out of him. And even though you may be looking at somewhere in the nine to 12 range, try to get that first round pick. Because if Cordero Patterson at that point does fall flat on his face, now that nine to 12 pick turns into a top six pick and you just made out like a bandit. So think about I'm the, on board. Sell him. Think about the like return on investment of a guy like Cordell Patterson if you get a second oh, round absolutely. pick for him. Like, like you said, chances are you yeah. picked him up off of waivers and you're getting a second round. That's fantastic. Even a third round pick is great. But if your league sure. values picks like, you know, more than most leagues or the contender isn't willing to give a pickup, I mean, look for like a younger-ish wide receiver or a, uh, a, a satellite back that has an opportunity. Like if you can get like a Michael Pittman, for instance, that'd be great. I would like yeah, that. Yeah, I think Pittman, Pittman would be tough. It, maybe you're maybe you're talking about a contending team that's loaded at wide receiver who doesn't need Pittman in their lineup. I think most Pittman owners right now are holding – because uh, he has gotten off to a pretty good start. But I, I think maybe like a a second, third-year guy who really hasn't done it yet, like the uh, like a Brian Edwards type. Mm-hmm. And maybe you could, you get Brian Edwards plus right now, I guarantee you, yeah. for Corderell Patterson. And when you're talking about a rebuilder, you get Brian Edwards in a third. These are assets that are going to be helping your team in a couple years where Corderell Patterson should be dead, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, like I said, he's going to be a 30-year-old free agent running back. I don't care what he – does yeah. for the rest of the year NFL front offices are not going to spend a lot of cash on this guy it's just not going to happen agreed all right you ready for our final segment
We've we've been giving a lot of love to the running backs and tight end or running backs and quarter. Damn it, we've been giving a lot of love to the running backs and wide receivers lately. It's a fantasy show. Those are the names that stick with us. But I'm going to give some love to the tight end position. Remember Anthony Fasano? Oh <laughs> yeah, Titans, right? Anthony Fasano. He he played his tail end with the Titans. He also played for what one, two, Miami? three, four, three other teams. Yes, Miami is one of them. Uh, Can you Indy? name the other two? Play no, actually, no, no Indy. No, no Indy. Uh, two more teams. Hold on. They, I'll give you a hint. They should both be playoff teams this year. Ooh. One of them is in a position to make the playoffs, and the other team is currently on the outside looking in, but I don't think anyone would predict them to miss the playoffs. The Chiefs? The Chiefs. That's the one on the outside looking in. Okay. And then which uh, team drafted him back in 2006? Oh, Bills. No, it's not the Bills. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's the team. It's the team that just what four or five years ago, your Philadelphia Eagles traded up to steal a tight end away from that. That tight end being Dallas Goddard. Was it the Saints? No. Who did you trade in front of to get Goddard? The Cowboys. That was the draft in Dallas. You don't remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have known that. It was like what the second or third round. Dallas Goddard, huge prospect. Yeah, Yeah, you dropped the ball on that one. We did have a first round pick that year. That draft always kind of like fades away in my mind. Mm. Yeah, I understand that. That, That's how I feel about our league of record where I traded away my first this year and I just didn't pay attention at all to how the first round went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that, that's a dude, that's a deep cut. Anthony Fasano. He's one of those classic tight end names that you'll never, yeah. you'll never forget for some reason. Yeah. He, uh, his career high in fantasy points, random stat was 87 for the 08 dolphins. I, I want to say career, that huh? was the year. Yeah. Just not definitely a blocker <laughs> first, but I mean, back in the mid two thousands, that's what 90% of tight ends were. You didn't have Kyle Pitts roaming around here that are wide receivers that just happened to line up in line. Every four snaps, everyone was a blocking tight end back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all I got I for ha- Anthony Fasano career high for yards. A, 454. <laughs> I had a name. Oh, but hold on. Hold on. Me. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. That 08 year where he had 454 yards. Guess how many touchdowns he had seven. I was about to. I was gonna guess eight. Damn it! That's Close. yeah. It's a pretty solid tight or touchdown total there for the low yardage and everything. For Anthony Good for Fasano. him, Anthony Fasano. What team was he on? Shout that? out. He that was his first year in Miami. Dallas drafted him, gave oh, him two okay. years. Miami held on from to him 2008 through 2012. Kansas City for two years, two years in Tennessee, then back to Miami as recently as 2017, where he played eight games for the Dolphins. Wow. See, I have no memory of him ever playing for the Cowboys, so that had to be. Yeah, just he played 16 games both seasons of his first two years, but yardage totals 126, 143 on the season. So not exactly. He might as well be a fantasy radar. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was my turn to pick a guy, so I had someone teed up. I don't know if you want to go back to back or you want me to save it. No, save it for next week or or next show. We'll save it for next week. You got it. All right, man. Tell him. Be sure to follow us. All right, I'll just go fuck myself. (laughs) Be sure to follow (laughs) us. On Twitter, at FFlexecution, F-L-E-X-E-C-U-T-I-O-N. For all the latest breaking news, it goes through the Twitter feed. For all that up-to-date information, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at FFlexecution. If you want my spin on it, follow me, at FFMasterDebaters. I had a whole bunch of really engaging tweets this offseason. I felt like, or this offseason, this weekend, I felt like a superstar because I uh, quote-tweeted J.J. Zacharyson and everyone was just quote-tweeting off of it. So I'm getting notifications every two or three seconds. And I, I was like, this is what it feels like when you made it. But I was just living off of Zacharyson's cloud but whatever if you want to help feed my ego follow me at ff master debater i feel like i'm living you know behind the paywall because i get all your tweets in a group message before you actually tweet them out yes. 
I, I, you guys are like my filter. I send it in the group chat and like, yeah, that's tweet worthy. Send it. <laughs> or you guys will tell me, no, that, that's stupid, and I'll just pocket that. Yeah, you kidding? You're gonna fire it off either way. Most likely. <laughs> All right, guys. Hope you loved it. See you next time. Bye. Peace. Step, let's kiss it.